Hello and welcome into another episode on the Labumba Pastor's Blog. I'm Masumba Jonathan. Today's lesson is entitled John 17, Kept in the Name. Our text to begin is John 17 from verse 6 to verse 15. It says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you. And these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. In this passage, we see Jesus explain what our standing is in God, and how we came to that position. Then he makes his first request on our behalf in his prayer. He prays that his Father would keep us in his name. First, let's think through Jesus' preamble to his initial request. It's a bit of a methodological recap of the theological truths revealed in John's Gospel about how we are drawn to God and how we are in God. We came to know God through Jesus manifesting him to us. He made God known to us. Jesus did this not according to his own plan or program, but out of obedience to his Father's will. We belonged to the Father, and he gave us as a gift to his Son. As such, we are a good gift. Do you realize that? Jesus once commented that even though we are evil, us human beings, we know how to give good gifts to our children. Then he said, how much more so does our Heavenly Father know how to give good gifts to his children? If our Heavenly Father gives the best gifts, and the Church, the Bride of Christ, is a gift from the Father to the Son, then it flows logically that we are a good gift. The way that we receive the Father and the Son is by receiving the Word the Father gave the Son to give to us. It's written in 1 John chapter 2, verse 23. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. We are Christ's, and Christ is God's, and God is ours. We are in Him, and He is in us. That's a beautiful reality to reflect on as we consider this first prayer request that Jesus makes, which is that we be kept in God's name. The context of the keeping that Jesus refers to is clarified in verse 15, 
where Jesus asks that we be kept from the evil one, that God not remove us from the world where we are hated by the world, but that while we are in the world, God would keep us from the evil one and keep us in his name. Earlier today, I was singing an old hymn loudly as I worked alone. I never sing loudly around other people, as vocal ability is one of the many gifts God did not anoint me with. As I was singing, a thought occurred to me about how much Satan is bothered by believers praising their God, obeying their God, and carrying out their God's instructions. There's nothing Satan hates more than that. He's extremely troubled by it because he hates God. Then I began thinking of how powerful the Bible describes Satan as being. Jesus warned Peter that Satan wanted to do this with him. In Luke 22, verses 31 and 32, we read, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Satan has the power, we see, to grind us to powder like a mill grinds wheat to flour. He is described like this in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But though Satan has the power to annihilate us, he does not have the authority. In Christ, it is us who have been given authority over the devil. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, we read, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. An interesting illustration of this reality is given to us in this story from Acts 19, from verse 13 to 16. It says, then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists, that's people who practiced casting out demons on a regular basis, undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Notice here this, their, their acknowledged separation from Christ. They didn't really possess Christ, did they? They spoke of the possession of, of Jesus through Paul. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this, but the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. These men were not in Christ, nor Christ in them. When they attempted to claim the authority of Christ as proclaimed by Paul, how did the demon respond? He answers by suggesting they had no claim to authority over him, and indeed he proved this by attacking and beating them. Understanding the power of our enemy should cause us not to go around in fear of him, that would be wrong, but to certainly be afraid of ever letting our guard down against his attacks. Jesus begins his prayer by asking that we would be protected from the devil. Obviously, this is of primary importance in the Christian life. The scriptures tell us this in Ephesians 6, verses 12 and 13. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, 
against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Our minds are often occupied with the material world because we ourselves are naturally at home there. We've been unnaturally transported from that kingdom, the kingdom of darkness, into the kingdom of light, which belongs to our God. But we tend to still look at things with our former perspective of the natural mind and the natural man rather than the spiritual mind having the eyes of our hearts enlightened by the Holy Spirit. But it's the spiritual man rather than the natural man who faces the truer and greater challenges. Here's a recent example I heard from a father about a situation at his son's boarding school, which illustrates my point. The father told myself and others that he was speaking to that there was a boy in his son's boarding school who had privately informed other students that anyone who wanted to have sex could visit his bed at night. If we ask Ugandan parents what their greatest concerns about school are, most of them will probably reply about the pressure of providing school fees for their child. But we see in this illustration that there is something much more important and valuable at hand that we're working for, and that is the souls of our children. We can be feeding a person's stomach as their soul starves. We might be filling a person's minds with a person's mind. A person doesn't have multiple minds a person's mind with facts and figures, while that person's conscience is led astray by our adversary. Understanding the reality of our spiritual warfare, let's consider how Satan seeks to destroy a child of God. This is a broad topic, but let's look at, for examples, from when Satan tempted Jesus. He did this in three distinct areas. The first temptation was about the needs of Jesus' flesh. In Matthew chapter 4, from verse 2 to 4, we read this. It says, And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. That's Jesus. He fasted 40 days in the wilderness. And then the Bible says he was hungry, obviously. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, in all three of these temptations, you'll, you'll notice that Satan is demanding that Jesus prove who he is. And in this temptation, this first one, the temptation came in a way that would have intersected with Jesus' great hunger for food. But Jesus told Satan that man does not live by bread alone. Most of us do not think of the necessity of the Word of God in the same way we think of our necessity of pre preparing food to eat. But Jesus tells us that his Word is what sustains us. Satan wants to take you out of this and for you to depend on yourself and to give in to the desires of the flesh. Satan next tempted Jesus like this in Matthew 4 verses 5 to 7. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God 
to the test. Here we see a reality that false teachers can use God's word out of context and twist it to their own um, purposes. Just because someone quotes God's word doesn't mean what they're saying is true. You have to test it and see with it if it really agrees with God's word. Satan again tempted Jesus about proving his identity in a way that would have been disobedient to God. And this one became temptation to pride. If you are really so-and-so, you should be able to do this. But actually, Jesus kept proving he really was the Son of God by the way he responds to the devil's ploys. He reacts to every demand with submission to God's word. Then lastly, Satan tempted Jesus like this. This is from verse 8 to 10 of Matthew 4. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these will I give you, if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Here was temptation similar to how Satan had tempted Eve in the beginning. He was promising that Jesus could have what had not been given him yet by God if he would violate God's law. Interestingly, we see at the beginning of Jesus' prayer in John 17 how it's actually through obedience to his Father that all things were given to him. The reverse was true for Adam and Eve. They lost everything they had when they gave in to Satan's temptation and disobeyed God. I say all this to emphasize how important it is that we daily depend on God and do not get proud of our standing, but take heed lest we fall as the scriptures warn us. I recently was speaking to a pastor about a professing believer who had been unfaithful in his marriage. The pastor replied saying, I doubt that ever that man ever thought that that would happen to him. I think that pastor's words were very true and very wise. I doubt if even Judas Iscariot thought he would betray Christ when he first began following him. We have an enemy who daily wants to destroy us and any potential for good in us for Jesus. A priority Jesus gives us in prayer is that we ask God to keep us in his name. Do not let us be overcome by desire for sin. Do not let us be hypocrites to our profession. Guard our faith and our standing in you, Father. God bless you all.